I always talked about wanting to find a man who was changed. And so it wasn't really returning to Jean-Luc because he was frustrated, unhappy, angry. How often did we see Jean-Luc Picard angry? And so it's been fascinating to take that 12, 14 year foundation and now build something different on top of it. <laughs> this will sound pompous, but in a way I think the world needs Star Trek right now. What is this? The Vintage Picard Podcast. It's um, discussion, analysis, debate about Star Trek Picard. All right, good. It's really quite exciting, actually. Very good, fine. I'll listen to it. Engage. Hello, Picard people, and welcome to Vintage Picard a podcast covering Star Trek Picard and Star Trek at large. That at large part is going to get a whole lot larger next week, I think, or <laughs> two weeks hence as it happens. But uh, for now, for now, though the Star Trek Picard series is over, we still have many, many opinions to share with you. And uh, that is because we are... Two guys who take Star Trek very seriously. Ourselves, not so much. And who are those two guys I don't hear you asking? Well, I will be happy to tell you. I, for my my own self, I am Gary McComiskey, a longtime passionate Star Trek fan and my co-host on this journey. Hi, I'm James Ajazi, and I too am a lifelong Star Trek fan. Indeed. And uh, we, uh, we have a lot to talk about. As I said, the series is over the, the first season of this series anyway uh, with no no clear target of when it may come back it it will we know it will but we don't know when but but there is so much to unpack from season 1 and i am eager to do that right on the other side of a little bit of news so just for your own personal edification first and foremost you may have seen this because it made the rounds over the last few days and you may have gotten caught and uh, I don't want you to have bad information. You may have seen that it came out that Jean-Luc Picard, who is, spoilers, now a synth, an android, is going to be in the third season of Discovery. That is not true. That was an April Fool's joke. I was not amused. Wow. So... Don't believe it, because I think initially it wasn't actually credited as an April Fool's joke until after April Fool's was over. So people may have read it, not realizing the date and uh, and, and taken it for fact. So do not be suckered. Do not be taken in. That is not true. That is not happening. So uh, as far as we know, well, I mean, I guess it could happen. I found it unlikely. But. There has been no actual announcement that that is going to happen, and it, it seems exceedingly unlikely. So please do not expect to see Patrick Stewart appearing on Star Trek Discovery whenever that winds up coming back. I thought that April Fool's was canceled this year. Well, I don't believe it. No, it's no, James, the thing about the Internet is that uh, even though we're socially distanced, we're still very close together online and 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 jam-packed and and 
it's, you know, you think it's easy to spread the coronavirus. In a situation like this, we have to be cautious. To, to spread lies and misdirection, that is as easy as anything. That's the easiest thing you can do. So, you know, just uh, don't get taken in. All right. Thanks for and, the advice. Yeah, sure. And the other bit of news, which is a little closer to home, I am happy to announce that uh, James and myself, Vintage Picard, is now offering its very first bit of merch. We have a shirt on offer, James, and it features our favorite, our very favorite Kuat Malat. Hello. Please, my friends, choose to buy this shirt. <laughs> When you see it, you're going to want it. I hope that's true. I will give you just a, a sousson of what it is. It, it's a silhouette of Elnor, and that silhouette consists of uh, words and phrases and uh, things that he has said and things that are descriptive of his character as a Coatmalat. So, you know, I, I, I think you're going to like it when you see it. So... We will have links to it on all of our stuff. We are at Vintage Picard and, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. But if you want to uh, skip the scrambling for links, you can go to teespring.com slash choose hyphen to hyphen live. And you can get your hands on that sweet, sweet VP merch. So uh, choose wisely, my friends. <laughs> But that's enough of the upfront news, because as I said, there's there's quite a bit to cover from season one, James, quite a bit indeed. So as I said last week, we're not going to go do a detailed blow by blow by blow of every episode. If you want that, you can go back and listen to the last 10 episodes where we went into excruciating detail on every episode, as you know, if you've been on this trek with us here. We are aware of that. Nay, what I am planning on doing and, and what James is going to do, we are going to, after having rewatched the whole series, going to kind of go over some of the things that may not have popped out at us in the beginning or may not have seemed to be important at the time, uh, given that we didn't have the whole picture yet, and, and, you know, just point out some things that are noteworthy in retrospect. So let us begin with our coverage of Star Trek Picard Season 1. And we, we go all the way back to the beginning, to the pilot episode, which Episode 1, Remembrance. And so the first thing that jumped out at me, the, the first kind of noteworthy thing that jumped out at me that... I guess we didn't really talk about it at first, was the idea that uh, when Daj was accepted to the Daystrom Institute, she was accepted as a fellow in AI and quantum consciousness. Now, given what we know about how the synths were created and, and you know, Alton and Nigo Sung, AI, as you pointed out, James, and, and the whole uh, quantum simulation nature of, of the data simulation, that that seems particularly, uh, I don't know, salient to me as a, as a thing. I also want to correct something. I believe in that first episode when we covered it, I said that they were remembering the anniversary of the Mars attacks. It was actually a remembrance of the 10th anniversary of the Romulan supernova. And that's why Picard was being interviewed. And that was what, you know, kicked off basically the whole series when that interview went sideways. If you recall, 
Dodge was attacked in her apartment by a like a commando squad. Her boyfriend was killed and then they tried to subdue her and put a bag over her head. My question is, if they have the capability to beam in and out of places, why not just beam in, slap a transporter tracer or, or, you know, transporter lock thing of some sort on her and beam her instantly into some kind of secure holding cell where they don't have to run. Well, because then there wouldn't be a show is the reason that's the reason because if they had just grabbed her she never would have found picard and it wouldn't be star trek picard it would be star trek one scene about a droid that gets kidnapped (laughs) (laughs) save that for short treks (laughs) i think something also speaking of dodge something also crystallized for me watching that first episode and that was the idea we've talked about this on the various episodes of this series so far james how we preferred dodge to soji Mm -hmm. i think it it really it hit me watching it why i preferred dodge over soji because whereas soji was always kind of kind of brusque especially you know as the series went on and she started to get suspicious of narak and then once she learned the true nature of her situation you know, she she went completely closed off and and antagonistic. Dodge, we encounter her at the beginning and she seems, I don't want to say soft, but she seems to have a much more gentle and a much more earnest air to her. Whereas, I don't know, Soji always seems kind of, not standoffish, but even when she's being flirty, she's kind of, she's being a little bit aggressive. And, and... You know, it's not that I think that that a woman shouldn't be assertive or anything. I think it's just it was a lot easier to warm up to Dodge quickly because she did seem to be that warm and gentle and, you know, trusting. She trusted Picard that I think as much as anything, her you know kind of immediate and complete trust of Picard, I think, may have won me over as well. At one time. You found something very appealing about it. That's a good point, too. And off air, you were mentioning that uh, in the way that TV programs are, are produced is sometimes scenes get edited out. So I'm curious that, that that's, as you were saying that, comparing you know, Dodge to Soji, one of the things that they kind of emphasized was how quickly that Narek, um, I don't know how to say this pro, you know, nicely, but he got into bed with Soji pretty quickly. So I'm curious if that was supposed to be the difference in characters between Soji and, and Daj, whereas that was an infiltration and uh, Narek quickly got to uh, her, her defenses down and gained her trust like that, uh, as opposed to, which I think that was a great point. And, and I agree with you hundred percent too, that, um, that Daj was, was right on board with Picard right from the get go. And, and Soji wasn't. So maybe that, seemed like something they wanted to delve into a little bit more with making the Narek thing so much more impactful and underhanded for what he and and Nerissa were trying to do. That's a very adult bit of reasoning. I also want to give credit to the actress, Isa Isa Briones. I'm not sure how you pronounce her first name. I apologize. Quite right. So you should. But she played three different characters over the course of this season, and they were all distinctly different. So... 
you know, credit to her for being able to pull that off. That was a remarkable performance. Amen. Absolutely. And speaking of the, I guess, the the painting that she was ostensibly based on, Data painted the painting Daughter. Now, we talked about this early on. This series seemed to have abandoned star dates altogether. Right. So lining things up took well, not a lot of doing, but I did have to do a little Googling and a little, uh, you know, napkin math figuring. But Data painted the painting Daughter about three years, give or take, after the Star Trek Next Generation episode, The Offspring, which was when he created LOL. So I find it interesting that he he painted that painting, titling it Daughter, when he actually did have a daughter who presumably he still cherished, and she didn't look like that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are very welcome. I mean, we can talk about that more another time, but that's really just, that was a kind of a you know, a flag, maybe not a red flag, but at least a yellow flag for me rewatching that scene. Well, if, if that, yeah, if, if Data could just dismiss his daughter that quickly, then he's really not, didn't accomplish becoming human at all. He completely, completely swung and missed at that. I mean, in the episode, in theory, where Data gets a girlfriend, he kind of, uh, when they break up, he deletes the, uh, subroutine that's devoted to the relationship with her so i mean it's i guess he's capable of it but i don't see why he would no exactly and uh, i wish i could do that with some of my old relationships but uh-huh. for something as intimate and, and as beautiful as a father and a daughter especially that bond you know daddy's little girl and all that stuff uh, mm-hmm. no you, you don't just brush that over especially how impactful the episode was and at the end that he made sure that her memory lived on and how hard he worked to save her, and how she was looking like she was developing emotions, and that ultimately mm-hmm. broke her, quote unquote. So yeah, yeah man, um, to paint somebody else that 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 doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. So uh, another thing, and this is a minor thing, but we learned uh, a bit later that the the mother that Dodge calls and and ultimately Soji calls is an AI that I guess is designed to manage them in some way. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I guess it has kind of like backdoor codes to, to kind of uh, guide them and, and trigger certain behaviors in them without arousing suspicion in their, uh, you know, kind of consciousness. It reminded me of the episode of uh, next generation where Noonien Sung wants to put the emotion chip in data so he puts out the like uh the homing beacon which causes data to like flip a switch take over the enterprise and come over and find him and it causes lore to do the same but that's that's not a discussion we need to have right now um and and you know data one when it was all said and done data was none the wiser as to what he had done so i'm just wondering why this mom ai manages them in kind of a i don't know how to phrase it exactly it's not like the behavior the irregular behavior is just completely blocked off like you know sectioned off in their positronic brain or whatever their organic positronic brain it's that this program, I guess, tries to manage it so it incorporates, you know, plausibility into accounting for those actions. So I, I just, 
I don't know why they didn't just uh, do it the other way. I, I guess maybe it's just part of the human experience, which is what they were trying to replicate, but maybe it's nitpicking. Oh, yes, it is. But that just stuck out to me a little bit. I was kind of okay with that. I, I like that angle where, to me, it was kind of like the Truman Show movie thing yeah. where once you start, or, or even the Matrix, that um, you have to have a choice. And once you start acting like a human, that it would make sense that uh, you'd go to mommy for help or daddy or whatever the case is. And then having that figure put you to sleep and then you wake up and you're like, oh, okay, everything's okay. Or it was a dream or what was I thinking? Or I kind of like that. I thought that was a pretty interesting angle to it. And I do like things where it's not the same old story. So that was mm -hmm. something I, I thought that was pretty interesting. All right. That's fair. James, they never resolved the question of where the singular neuron that they reconstructed Data's personality or whatever came from. Like, they even hang a lampshade on it in the second episode when Picard goes to visit Gerardi at the Daystrom Institute. And she tells him that it's theoretically possible to rebuild a, you know, kind of a, a profile of what Data was from a single neuron. This was that, that theory that Maddox was working on. And Picard's like, okay, but where did the neuron come from? And she says, now you're coming around to that no I've been promising you, which is, you know, she kept telling him no what he's proposing, which is the existence of Dodge is, is not possible. So, like, they tell us, you know, there's no reason why that should be because you don't have the thing that you need. And then they just never address where the thing that they needed came from. It's just kind of a given that it existed. It's a mystery. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, too, because to me, I'm thinking Terminator 2 style where that mm -hmm. influenced the 1984 cyborg arm and, and the mm -hmm. chip. And then that's how the future, that's how they built the 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 the, the, the T-100s or, or T-800s and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Sure. So, uh, exactly. And then, or even like the fifth element, that, that Mia Jovovich movie where they had a bit of her and then they rebuilt the whole person from some DNA from a glove or whatever the case was. But yeah, uh, chicken or the egg, come on. You know, you, you don't build that up and then just not approach it again, especially how season one ended. That's enough. You made your point. James, are you suggesting that the writers got lazy and <laughs> wrote themselves into a corner that they just decided not to resolve because it was easier that way? No, me? Nah. <laughs> You see, I'm just not convinced that you are telling the truth. And the, the last thing that struck me from the first episode is the whole idea of them having to be twins, them having to be made as twins, is still just a unnecessary plot device that they they came up with and never adequately explained. It's like, oh yeah, it's like this. Why? Because it is. You must trust us. Because that's what we need it to be for the series to work. So I don't like, it still doesn't make sense on a rewatch. I agree with you 100% there too. That, you, you're getting all these great points too. And that uh, I, I would have liked to see that um, kind of like before and lore, or even with, with Knight Rider, how there was Carr and then Kit, where at least they had a prototype or, or something mm -hmm. that preceded the final product. So instead of making them twins, then, which seems like, you know, it's double the work, that uh, you'd have a predecessor and then the final product. So I was okay that if Dodge and Soji weren't perfectly unperfect or whatever, the you know, the identical uh -huh. but not identical, that Dodge could have been made a little first. And then, I don't know, like a month later or something, then Soji was made if you're going to 
do that, but I, it's not I, I, even I, an Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito situation, <laughs> exactly. like where where you know one was the perfect specimen and the other was like all the leftover stuff that didn't work. You know, they're both like you said, nearly identical. Yeah, that I that would have seen a lot more interesting, but yeah, uh, yeah all right. I'm not seeking your consent. Anyway, um, moving on to episode two, maps and legends, which <laughs> still. Still not seeing a map, even on another viewing, but whatever. Uh, the Jatvash, James. What about him? So I do, I do, you know, I, I ride these writers a lot, but I do have to give them credit. The Jatvash motivations and the myths that were described by Laris in this episode of, of what the Jatvash represented they do line up beginning to end with what we ultimately saw with the admonition and how they are working to, you know, protect against that. So that seed got planted early on and it paid off. So good for them for that. Well done. Another thing I noticed the, uh, the cabbage head. Who is that? Uh, the, the, you know, researcher or whatever that, Soji has to explain the plot to on the Borg cube. She never comes back. Yeah, like, right. We see her for a couple of scenes. Soji's like, okay, you know what? Just stand there so I can throw some exposition at you. And then we never see her again. Budget. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of things that uh, ultimately failed to pay off, the Borg badges, the ones that were supposed to flash green if something bad and Borgy started happening... Chekhov's Borg badge did not pay off, James. Like, they introduced the Borg badge in episode two, and they failed to use it by episode ten. So, you know, Pavel Chekhov would be very disappointed in you. That is poor writing. Good try. Nine out of ten for effort. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a poor Chekhov, I think. Agreed. <laughs> so, Commodore O, as I mentioned back when this episode first aired... She has an idic on her desk, the uh, IDIC, the Infinite Diversity and Infinite Combinations, which is sort of like a Vulcan religion. And in retrospect, given what the Jat Vash is devoted to, it's kind of ironic. You know, the idea of that the, the Infinite Diversity and Infinite Combinations, except for since, <laughs> they can F right off. <laughs> Which I do wonder if that was placed there intentionally, ironically. Possibly. Yeah, I think so. It just seemed like they were trying to throw curveballs to us at the first few episodes and, and mislead us. And then we were to be intrigued, to use a Mr. Data word, and continue on and try and figure out what was going to happen for the rest of the uh, series, or at least the season. So yeah, I think that was definitely something that was intentional. And uh, I think it kind of paid off also. The, the last thing that hit me from the second episode was the doctor, Dr. Benayoun, who comes to give Picard the bad news about his brain defect. And I, I mean, the, the scene worked great. It, you know, he was a fine character. It was nice to see a callback to the Stargazer. I do have to wonder, and this is just idle speculation on my part. I'm sure somewhere on the internet, somebody will either be able to support this or contradict this, but I do have to wonder if that character was written originally with Beverly Crusher in mind. Explain. Because I feel like that would have been a much stronger callback and a much, 
more powerful scene if it was coming from her, especially given that she found it initially in all good things when, you know, Q kind of, well, time shenanigans kind of brought it to their attention. But I, I do have to wonder if they reached out to Gates McFadden and she turned it down. Uh, I would speculate that if they did reach out to her, no offense, but what else does she have to do? Maybe she might have asked for too much money or something, which I know back in the 2009 Star Trek movie that they did want to get William Shatner involved and then he kind of wanted to rewrite the script a little bit. So maybe that could have been it. But I agree with you 100% as uh, fans of Star Trek The Next Generation and for something that was so impactful, it Mm -hmm. definitely would have had a bigger, bigger punch had it been uh, Dr. Crusher. I believe she is now, uh, I, I, you know, I could be wrong, but from watching like convention panels and stuff, I believe she runs a theater company right now uh, in France, maybe. But she's like, she's in charge of her own theater company. So she, you know, I mean, I don't know how long a day of shooting for, for this scene, you know, how difficult that would have been to fit into her schedule. But she is keeping busy. She does have things going on. All right. Well, personally, for me, I wasn't a big fan of the character. So I, I wasn't a big fan of uh, Dr. Crusher. But uh, that's just my bias. I suggest you put your personal discomfort on one side. It also, it, maybe they didn't approach her at all. Like, it just, it seems to me like it would have been, you know, maybe maybe they thought it would have been too much if they had made it her. But it does seem like to me that it would have worked. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of writing, they did put that in the mouth of Picard himself, where they mentioned that there was one scene where I think he was talking with uh, Shaban and Laris about uh, assembling a crew. Mm-hmm. And then, then he immediately said that uh, the Enterprise D and E crew would, would, would not even hesitate to go on another mission with his. But, sure, and I believe that. Uh, yes. Um, so I, I think that maybe the writers wanted to make sure that, okay, it's not going to be Star Trek The Next Generation, Next Generation. It's going to be Star Trek Picard. So I guess they didn't want to go too much into going back to the old bridge, even though it would have made us very, very happy. Unless Crusher and Picard did actually get married and divorced, as they did in All Good Things. <laughs> I mean, that would have been a heck of a thing to not tell us, but... <laughs> I guess it's possible. We don't know what he's been up to on that chateau for the last 14 years. I'm under no obligation to tell you that. Especially all that wine, you know, come on. Hey. (laughs) It is a romantic. I am not seeking Jamaharam. (laughs) I'm doing Picard's French accent. Yes. I'll take your word for it. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so from episode three, which we had a lot of fun with, the end is the beginning. <laughs> so we ultimately learn that the disordered are Jatvash because they were on a Jatvash ship that was assimilated by the Borg. So I guess it stands to reason that the reason or what we're supposed to ultimately take away from that is the reason that they got so messed up mentally is because of the admonition, because they all experienced the admonition and went cuckoo. I'm guessing. Mm. Go on. The other thing, and I was, uh, I don't know, should I bring this up now or later? I think I saw men in amongst the disordered. That's correct. But it seemed like when we ultimately saw the Jatvash Cabal with O, it was all women. True enough. So it's a little bit of a gray area for me whether or not the true Jatvash are allowed to be men or not. I don't know if that had something to do with Romulans having 
a problem with being uh, assimilated or I mean Narissa does say to Ramda very clearly that it was a Jatvash ship that got assimilated and right. those are the disordered ultimately so I have to assume that they're all Jatvash all right then I have no defense and speaking of things that you have no defense for James I remember you from tomorrow <laughs> ridiculous it still doesn't make any sense <laughs> like unless she specifically saw soji in the admonition it doesn't make any sense i mean if she was in there then it i guess it does but from what we saw of it ultimately it didn't look like soji was actually in there anywhere so i i don't know what i still don't know what that's supposed to mean yeah that's right were they trying to say that with the tarot card type things she was using that that was predicting um or maybe she read something off of soji i don't know and i, and do think, I don't know yeah and I, I do think that the uh the 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 borg com badge thing turned green but i can't swear to that during that yeah we, I, I have out. to admit i went back and rewatched it numerous times i didn't see it which doesn't mean you're wrong it just means i was not able to see it yeah <sighs> I can only watch the series on my computer, so... No, it's fine. If That's we're fine. on a big screen, maybe it would be more obvious, but... So, uh, moving on to episode four, Absolute Candor, which was the introduction of one of our favorite characters, James. Oh, no. Oh, that was a good episode. I enjoyed that a lot. So, Rios, in the beginning, he explains to Agnes Gerardi... The book he's reading, The Tragic Sense of Life, which they kind of hit us over the head with over those few episodes, is about the existential pain of living with the consciousness of death and how it defines us as humans. <laughs> so in retrospect, that's kind of a key plot point to the series. <laughs> yes, a little light reading there. <laughs> I would appreciate a more detailed explanation yeah sure but <laughs> the way everything turns out and how data in particular talks about how you know the knowledge that he's going to die defines his you know or not defines but gives meaning to his existence that like i think they were really setting us up for something there so it would seem uh, there are a couple of other things that jumped out at me but i'll talk about them later uh, so for episode five the Stardust City Rag. The old Stardust City Rag. What are you doing? That, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> he talks about, uh, in the very beginning, when Maddox is there with the bejazel. <laughs> He's telling her how his lab was destroyed. And there's really no context or follow-up on that. You know, except to say that, oh, the Romulans, you know, that that's how he knew that the Romulans were after Soji and Dodge because they came after him, too. And my question is simply what lab he he had a whole deal with Sung on Capelius. Like what other lab was he working out of? Did, like, is that his summer lab? What? I don't understand. I should want an answer to that. Excellent point. Excellent point. It, it just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. Indeed. There is a, a nice line that winds up being called back in episode nine, and that's when Seven and Picard are in his hollow study talking, 
about what he's doing out there. And she kind of throws it in his face where, you know, he's he's the one whose job it is to go out and save the galaxy. She just kind of hangs around and, and, you know, helps people who need help, who has no one else to help them. Like kind of the implication being, you know, you're going out and glory seeking while I'm down here in the weeds doing the actual work. And so she she says, you know, saving the galaxy is your job, not mine. And so then in episode nine on the crashed Borg cube, when Picard and Seven have a, a conversation, Picard is going to say his goodbyes. Seven tells him, oh, you know, good luck saving the galaxy. And he kind of turns around and he says, nope, that's your job now. I'm I'm just working on saving these people. <laughs> so, you know, I, I thought that was a nice little Nice little thing. And it worked. Agreed. In Free Cloud, something that I did not notice the first viewing, or second or possibly third viewing, right next to Quark's bar is Mr. Mott's Hair Emporium. My name is Mott. I'm uh, I'm the barber. Oh, get out of here. I didn't catch that. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you may remember Mr. Mott as the barber on the Enterprise D, the Bolian, who always had an opinion on the the you know diplomacy and tactics and uh, basically you know anything having to do with the command of the ship <laughs> there is one nice little thing that you know it's 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 a a secret seed that is hidden in plain sight so when they do rescue Maddox and right before Gerardi kills him actually he's telling her you know, that, that these synths are the realization of their life's work. And it was an accomplishment that was done by Sung and I and you, Agnes. Now, I think we're at the time, we're supposed to believe that he's talking about Noonien Sung. But in retrospect, he was clearly talking about Alton Sung. Remarkable. Which is, you know, great that, that they, they threw that out there and nobody saw it. And uh, finally, speaking of the death of Bruce Maddox, we, we covered this at length on that episode, but you mentioned it. It's not something that jumped out at me initially, but upon these rewatches. So when Gerardi does pull the plug on Maddox and he starts going, you know, coding, I guess they would call it in a hospital. Alarms do start blaring in the ship. Now, we've seen where the sick bay is in proximity to the bridge. It's just down some stairs. It's a straight shot. Now, if, like, emergency alarms start blaring on the other side of the ship, if I'm Rios, I'm gonna, you know, maybe take some note of that and, and come to see what's going on. So they had to know that something was up with Maddox. It's not, you know... It wasn't just a situation where Gerardi tearfully walked out and she's like, he's gone. There's nothing I could do. And they're like, oh, Agnes, I'm so sorry. Like they knew that there was an emergency and they, you know, anybody with half a brain would have called for the EMH in that situation. And if they had, he probably would have said, you know, I tried to fix this. She turned me off. And uh, again, it's just it's not a well thought out scene that, you know, it does not hold up to even the slightest bit of critical analysis, which creates a very difficult problem. And yes, that 
even and again we we are splitting hairs here sometimes but in this case something that was such a major part of the plot that even if Gerardi could have done something to distract the crew or or whatever you know just, but but exactly just just to get away with it like that scot free you glance back you could see something's going on you can hear something's going on even if all of the crew let's say the entire crew is like oh what's that and then they get lost in the uh, the tardis type 5150 there they go into another room or something <laughs> you know okay or uh, I'll, I'll buy that but to just or do a men in black thing where she can erase their memories for the last couple of seconds i don't know mm-hmm. do something but to, to leave it the way they did didn't sit well with me personally i think i'm aware of your opinion yeah well one more thing to uh to think about going forward i guess so on episode six, the impossible box to box the impossible box. <laughs> no, that's not necessary. Go on. Um, we already did that joke. That thought had passed through my mind. It's still funny. Wow. Uh huh. So Hugh asks Picard to advocate on behalf of the Borg for their freedom and acceptance into civilized society. Now. We know that the synth ban winds up being lifted by the end of the series, but what about the Borg? Now, the XBs are still very much a thing, and we don't know what ultimately happens to them and how they're going to be treated. So I think that's definitely something that could be revisited down the line. That's okay. If, if they're doing things with the intention of having a second season and beyond... That's cool with me. How far do you think that trust goes? I feel that's something that's responsible for coming up with a series because mm-hmm. it always seems like, too, when, when you establish a series, it usually takes a, a couple of seasons to really get going. But mm-hmm. in, in this case, uh, having such a short series, a season, I should say, and being pay-per-view kind of, you know, you have to pay mm-hmm. for the CBS All Access, then that, that I, I could live with that. Then I'll appreciate it if they're looking to plant a seed for the next season or two. Uh, The next episode was episode seven, Nepente, and I don't have much to say about this right now. There are a couple of things I want to revisit later, but just uh, the episode really still holds up. I I still think after having seen the whole series, I still think that episode was the high point. It was my favorite. I think it was it, it worked the best overall. And, you know, I really I think the Rikers. I, I can't say enough about how well that whole family dynamic and, and how well everybody, especially Kestra, played their roles in, in that episode. It was just, oh, it was excellent, really, to me. I was almost hoping that you'd find a problem. Episode eight, Broken Pieces. Now, this, again, this is my question. We saw the admonition, or at least the... We saw them experiencing the admonition, and it was, like I said, all a cabal of women. And even when Commodore O is explaining what the admonition is to them, she says, oh, this is something that our foremothers handed down, which, I mean, whatever, but it, it's another kind of hint that perhaps this is, or maybe the, at least at the highest levels, this is like a girls' club. And if that is the case, it would be a nice kind of counterpoint to their mortal enemies, the Kuat Malat, who are also all female. So if that was their intention, then I think that works well, but I wish they had been a little more clear about it. 
I'm inclined to agree. There is kind of one bit of information that gets glossed over. And for me, it's a huge, huge thing. So at some point, like, I guess, 14 years prior, since that's when the Mars attack was, there was also like simultaneously a Borg invasion in the Beta Quadrant. That cube didn't just wind up there. Like, when the Borg come to town, people take notice. They don't just come for a vacation, you know? That cube was there to do some assimilating. And it was just like pure chance that they assimilated anti-crazy pants and they <laughs> broke their little cube. <laughs> like, I don't, I mean, I know there was a lot to get to in this, this season. And I guess that that would have been kind of distracting to really analyze that. But that's a heck of a thing to just drop there and not even address. We do get an incomplete picture. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> when Rios is kind of drunk in his cabin and uh, Rafi comes in to tend to him, she replicates him some coffee, which is a nice callback to a few episodes earlier when Rafi was sleeping one off in her bed and Rios comes in and brings her some coffee. So it was it was a nice, you know, little bit of symmetry there. I would have preferred the Earl Grey, but OK, that's fine. <laughs> James, what happened to all the researchers on the Borg Cube, the, the people who had been brought in for the Borg Reclamation Project? Like, did the Romulans just wholesale kill all of them? It's the only explanation. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah. they, it was never addressed in the episode. Like, no. Uh, did did they were they just left to their own devices? It doesn't that doesn't seem very Romulan. Like, I mean, we don't know one way or the other, but I I just I don't know. It's like they they put them in there for that one episode for exposition and then they completely forgot that they existed. Maybe Nerissa opened up the cube and sucked them all out like she did with the Borg. What happened to the cabbage head, James? I don't know. She was a trill. Oh yeah, that's right. Theoretically, she had lifetimes of cabbage within her. What are you saying? <laughs> oh, man. oh, that's it's 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 one of the great mysteries, James. <laughs> and finally, we wrap things up with episode nine, Et in Arcadia Ego, part one. And so, just a couple of things from this: Arcana, which was the first synth person on Capalius that we are introduced to properly. I thought her name was was kind of a nice little touch because, you know, you have data and lore, which are both kind of information based names. And then you have Arcana, which is kind of like similar to lore. It's, you know, lore is like kind of ancient legends and history. And Arcana is kind of like ancient secrets and, and ancient knowledge. So I, I thought that it was it, it kind of kept that line of naming going, if only for a little while. That's fun. And then when Sung is talking to Gerardi, he uh, you know, when when he comes around to the subject of Bruce Maddox, who, again, I want to remind you, was murdered in cold blood 
by Dr. Agnes Gerardi, he gives her a very stern shame on you, Agnes, as if she had like thrown a house party while her parents were away. <laughs> you know, it's 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 equivalent, I guess, the uh, the the level of bad acting that, that she did there. Not bad acting like in the in the uh, dramatic sense, bad acting in the, the actions sense. Understood. I, like I, everybody is treating this like, oh, well, you probably shouldn't have done that. Uh, lessons learned. Like, I, just, I don't understand why more people don't think this is a big deal. Yes, you have said that. I agree with you 100 um, percent. You're talking about murder here. It's not a, and of a human being. It's not a synth. So that makes it, I think, a little bit worse if I'm being um, prejudiced against synths. I apologize. It's unintentional. But uh, and yes, just you are synthist, James. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess because in in certain cases, I think they do feel that they have feelings, but at least they are sentient. But exactly. You don't just brush over something like that. And then they all seemed casual to forgive and forget and then. You're going to redeem yourself. Here's opportunities to redeem yourself. And, and, and Girardi did have various opportunities to all of a sudden come back to the, the home team after doing something so despicable that should have been so traumatic for the reasons that she did it. And then for getting over the fact that after she had the visions from O and all that, and then murdering somebody so important and so significant to her, and not to mention in, in the Star Trek realm, but I couldn't get over that either. That, that was just something that uh, I had a problem with. And ultimately, I just did not like the character Gerardi at all. And it has nothing to do with the, with the actress. She did a fine job of portraying the character. Mm-hmm. That's more on the writers than anything else. So it's like it went from, we're handing you over to the authorities at Deep Space 12. And then she's like, I'm going to turn myself in. And then Soji like, tries to commandeer the ship for five minutes. And then she's like, wait, what about, what about Deep Space 12? What about what now? Oh yeah, don't worry about that. That, That's fine. That was, that was two scenes ago. We've already forgotten. (laughs) What, what, what happened? Like, that's not how justice works. There, there were way too many things of uh, like an Elvis movie plot in, (laughs) in, in the series. Again, if that has something to do with editing and, and, and missing scenes that did not make the final cut, then I'll, I'll take that back and I apologize. But for as what we've seen, as of this time period right now, it was flawed. Nobody's perfect. I like this is the very last thing I will say on this for now. I wish I could believe that. You know, the fact that she's sorry doesn't absolve her of what she did. Yes, it's true. It's not like, oh, you did this bad thing and I feel bad about it. Oh, uh, that's fine then. Y- yeah, I, I, I think your assessment of saying that it was like a house party or something is, is excellent. I was thinking more along the lines of like spilling milk on the carpet or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself. You know, like, uh, yeah. okay, you know take, uh, okay. All right. Well, uh, I don't want to turn people off by spending too much time on that. We've probably spent too much already. Almost certainly. But um, so that, that brings us up to the, you know, episode 10, which we covered in exquisite detail last week. I apologize for that episode coming out so late. It's not your problem that it was very hard for me to edit, but it just took forever. So, like, I, I'm sorry it came out so late, but it was it was a job of work <laughs> putting that one together. I, I, I hope you enjoyed it. I thought it was worth the wait. Yeah, okay, well, thank you. Oh, I appreciate your telling me. 
But I'm quite sure that the two of you will find some way to deal with the situation. One one last thing that we didn't mention last week because I did not know last week uh, and, and found out in the intervening time that the very final, uh, well, not the very final, the penultimate, I guess, scene where Data ultimately dies, where we hear Blue Skies being sung, that song, that, that version of Blue Skies was actually sung by the actress that plays Soji. So... It was, in effect, sung by Data's daughter, which was a very, very nice, sweet touch and not something that I realized at the time. And, you know, James has said this to me privately since several times, and I just want to echo the sentiment publicly. She is a very talented singer. Indeed. Yeah, thank you for telling me that. I would have liked to have known that going into watching it because exactly uh, she she has a beautiful voice and, and did such an excellent job at that. And uh, would have made it a little bit more impactful. Um, so we'll get into the things I didn't like about that final scene. But the fact of the song was, was, was a very nice touch. And I also, too, like the fact that when the season started and, and the series started, the first thing you hear is Blue Skies sung by the one and only Bing Crosby. And for all you real Trekkers and Trekkies out there, you know that Denise Crosby is Bing's granddaughter so that was a nice little tie-in to the whole next generation and uh, family it's a pretty thing isn't it <laughs> well said sir <laughs> i'm not gonna put that song in the show james <laughs> come on everybody has to know bing crosby and the little drummer boy with david bowie come on there's a great story that i'm not gonna tell here but there's a great story that goes along with that song involving Bing Crosby and uh, David Bowie's involvement with that special. So you should check that out. We have to get as much information as possible. But we don't have time for that now because I have something much more pressing to do. And that is namely ask you, James, what did you think of this season? Analysis. Uh, thank you. I'll start off with the bad news and then I'll finish it with the good news. The things I disliked to hate of, uh, of season one. First off was as you... So astutely pointed out, lol, I, I thought that was kind of unfair that they just brushed over that character and the significance to Data and the significance to the whole synth life and world and next generation. Also, I was discussing the series with my brother, and uh, if you've listened to the, the first episode when Gary and I were introducing ourselves, my brother is the reason why I became a Star Trek fan, my older brother. And he pointed out, what about Q? What about him? I know that Star Trek Picard is not Star Trek The Next Generation. I, I, I got that. But Q was such an integral character as the ultimate bad guy to Picard's good guy throughout that entire series. It would have been interesting to at least see Q in some form. I'm just curious why that didn't work out. If it was... Uh, done intentionally or if they just figured let's get this on its own i don't know but i thought that's at least a question that should be asked and a good point i didn't like the fact that we were being bonked on the head throughout the series with plot points again with thinking out loud and struggling with the fact that not only were they trying to get star trek picard to the real star trek fans but to uh, not really big time sci-fi fans or, or not really Star Trek fans either trying to encompass everybody to uh, watch the series. So I was kind of giving them um, uh, a long leash on, on that part. But you didn't, James, you didn't like Star Trek exposition? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I kind of felt like, you know, I, I'm not an intelligent person by any means, but still I 
watched enough TV and movies and read enough books where I can kind of get where you're going and things of that nature. So I, I, I didn't understand having everything spoon fed to you. I, I'm, I don't know. I wasn't a fan of that. Paying extra fee to watch CBS All Access. I understand that's what's happening now. Just as a person who struggles from paycheck to paycheck and now going through what we're going through at the recording of this podcast, having no paycheck at all, paying for cable and, and, and the fact that we have to pay for TV, which is really ridiculous uh, when you really think about it. But then on top of everything else, now all these stations are going on apps and, and, and digital uh, or, or other uh, means of, of viewing with uh, on-the-go other uh, devices that you have to pay extra for this stuff. So to sucker us in to, to get the Star Trek fans because they knew the fans that are capable of spending the money and, and know the technology, it would make sense for them. The economics of the future is somewhat different. But as I said for the last episode, that I don't know if it would be worth it to watch the whole series and, and pay an extra fee for CBS All Access. Although it is worth mentioning that CBS All Access is free until, I believe, April 24th because of what's going on. That's really cool. So thank you for pointing that out and, and good for, for CBS for that. Mm -hmm. uh, appreciate it. So we need all the help we could get right now. Yes, it is true. Didn't like the character Girardi. We, we've talked about this in, in the past. I understand she was a bad guy, quote unquote. Uh, then she was a good guy. Uh, so I don't know. I, I wasn't a big fan of that. Again, has nothing to do with with the actress who portrayed the character, not her fault. She did as great a job as you could. I didn't like the cursing in the series. Okay, they were trying to establish this is not your father's Star Trek, quote unquote. Okay, gotcha. But uh, to me, it's, you know, my mom's an English teacher and, uh, I, and I do have a potty mouth myself, but um, it, it's, there's a time and a place for that stuff. And it, was, it seemed forced to me and it wasn't shocking. It was annoying, I thought. Commodore O wasn't a big fan of that character either, and you don't run away from infiltrating Starfleet and causing a whole lot of trouble and then turn tail and, and pay no prices for that. So I don't know, hopefully that's something maybe in season two they'll, <laughs> they'll address. So as of right now, didn't, didn't dig that. The MacGuffin, as Gary so, <laughs> so wisely pointed out that uh, little machine that would magically fix things by using your imagination. Okay, um, we're not children here, so that, that, that wasn't necessary. And okay, plot lines and budget, whatever. Hugh getting killed. I didn't need to see that. That was not necessary. We understood where Seven of Nine was coming from. She had to crack some skulls and, and get her hands dirty. And that wasn't necessary to, to, to put another dagger in her heart. Picard, which we've talked about in, in the past uh, on this podcast, having to beg other characters for help. And then he has to go away with his tail between his legs, only to have that character say, oh, okay, I'm on board now. I see where you're coming from. And then finally, the ending. I, I have to admit it, I hated the ending, especially the more I thought about it. Really didn't get the fact that they turned... Admiral Picard into a golem, uh, that, that Captain Picard, Admiral Picard is really dead now. Uh, we talked about the artificial heart and all that stuff. Where's his body? What's going on with that? I didn't need to see Data die. That didn't make any sense to me either with all of that stuff, talking about uh, the excuses that that makes him human and knowing that you only have limited time on the earth or wherever you are. He's not a human being, and he has so much to offer. Uh, okay, if you want to use the logic that Brent Spiner 
is an older gentleman. You're talking about a series that began over 30 years ago. Okay, fine. But you do have the technology of CGI, so he could probably voice data. You didn't need to kill him. I, I, I get attached to characters. I get attached to like the enterprises and stuff like that. I, I just really, those two things, I didn't dig at all. Honestly, it does sound like Brent Spiner was ready to put down the character. He, he wanted to be done with data because of just what you kind of uh, mentioned that he felt like it was no longer credible for him to be able to play data at his age. But I submit that there is a workaround there that they could have employed and I guess still could if they want to. But that is that uh, the it wasn't actually data. It was a simulation of data. And that simulation of data is not perfect. It's an imperfect thing. And that simulation has, I guess, gone through some things. So I could see him, you know, being put in a body that wants to manifest those experiences and those changes. And so the data body that they built for him would have been somebody that was older and more wizened and more, you know, I mean, we even saw in all good things, the, the future data, he put a gray streak in his hair, you know, I guess because he felt it was distinguished. But, you know, it's clear that even then the character had an eye to embracing the passage of time in some way. So I could easily forgive them bringing back data with the conceit that he was reconstructed with that, you know, that older model because of all the things that he'd been through, he felt it would be appropriate. Yes, and I'm not going to step on your toes here either for the other plot holes that they left with them. All of a sudden, all the technology's all done and the golem and all that stuff. So I'll leave that to you. But uh, I'll put a, a cap on my negativity there with that. About time. The things I loved and really liked about the series. I'm a sucker for it, and I admit it. I loved it. Any Next Generation references, I was on board for, and they worked so well you said it the best too with the Riker family that was fantastic seeing great characters that we love and seeing how they were able to continue their lives and have happy lives and uh yeah uh, Kestra is such a great character I, I hope that there's more of her in the future just really fascinating and and, and interesting and well acted too as you mentioned too Gary so I appreciated all that stuff Troy Riker great and that was so nice how they set the seed speaking of which setting seeds, uh, planting seeds that uh, Riker was showed up in the nick of time as Captain Riker back out of uh, making pizza and, and, and kicking butt for the Federation. So that was really awesome, too. That, that worked very well. I especially love any original series references. I'm a big fan that I go back to the original series. I'm not that old, but still, that, that was my first exposure to Star Trek was the original series. And I love the Tranya, the Romulan Ale. Thank you for correcting me, Gary, before. I mistakenly referred to as Saurian Brandy. And then the fact that Raffi lives on the planet where they filmed Arena. So that was really cool, too. I like that. That was all great. Rio's ship being painted like Van Halen stripes. She's a fine ship. I'm a sucker for Van Halen, too, baby. So anytime you can have some sort of cool reference to that great band, I'm on board for that. And I really appreciated the NCC 5150 and USS Van Halen references that Gary always talked about throughout the series. And, and again, thanks to my brother. Again, he is the biggest Van Halen fan I know. He actually came up with an original NCC 5150 and USS Van Halen, too. I asked him if he had any uh, remnants of those things. Uh, I believe he 
created them on his computer many, many years ago, but he wasn't able to track those down. But I do remember seeing those and, and seeing like an Enterprise with the Van Halen stripes on it. So that was really awesome, too. That was cool. Seven of Nine was fantastic. A great callback character that was really integral to Star Trek Picard. It worked very well, made total sense. And I like the fact that um, Seven of Nine, again, she she got her hands dirty. She actually crossed that line and, and took some lives and, and cracked skulls and did what she had to do. So that was cool. I love the Fenris Rangers and all that. The, the fact that uh, she had her heart broken and her quote-unquote son being tortured to death like that, it all worked out so well. And, and she was really great. And, and I hope there's, there's more of Seven of Nine coming up in the future. Elnor. Elnor. An original character. Fascinating character. So cool. And anytime he was able to really unleash and, and do what he does best, I got excited every single time. And that, uh, that question and catchphrase worked beautifully. And I want to order myself a shirt, by the way. Yes, you should. So looking forward to that. And, and again, yes, Kestra. So all of those great things with the new characters, original characters, established characters worked so well, very well done. And great acting all around, too. That, that was nice to see as well. And the st- special effects were great. High praise. Just to split hairs, James, because that's what I do. That is an understatement. That's what I do. Uh, if you have WWE, never mind. <laughs> Just to split hairs, James. You mentioned that Raffi lived on the planet where they filmed Arena. Technically, we all live on the planet where they filmed Arena. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> just, just saying. Uh, um, so, <laughs> quick thoughts from an overview standpoint of the season. I will say I thought it was a little uneven in terms of the pacing and definitely in terms of the quality Although I will say that first seasons are usually pretty rough, especially on Star Trek. You know, you you go back and watch the first season of The Next Generation. Oh, woof. <laughs> like, they didn't f- really, I mean, they had they had some, some good episodes in season two, but they didn't really hit their stride till season three. So I will cut them a little bit of slack there. Really? The plot holes that we pointed out in every episode of Vintage Picard still don't work (laughs) like they're still plot holes they're still not explained so you know that lazy writing i i i I can't excuse it it is not for you to set the standards by which we should be judged i will say that i felt like the narek and narissa icky sibling stuff well you know it was still when it was on screen it was still tough to watch yes perhaps it is i will say that watching all the episodes one after the other it didn't bother me as much as i thought like maybe it's just because it was like one thing and then immediately on to the next thing and i don't have to dwell on it you know i i I, it didn't bother me watching it one after the other after the other as much as it did on the initial viewings i think that agnes gerardi and soji definitely need more character development especially if they're supposed to be redeemed characters. I want to see more like less, uh, less angst and more actual character development because it seems like they were one trick ponies in a lot of ways. So hopefully we'll, we'll see that from them because I think both actresses are, are capable of it. Uh, you know, I, they, they both seem to be very good. They're just not being used properly. IMHO. I'm just not accustomed to seeing an unsatisfactory rating on a member of my crew. And uh, finally, 
I really think we could use a break from the Romulans and the Borg for a while. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd prefer a whole season away from them, or at least mostly away from them. There are some things that they might need to wrap up, which I'll get to in a minute. But I think as, you know, a focus, we we could really do with some new plots and some new races or some different races, at least next season. I prefer to look on the future as something which is not written in stone. Speaking of the things that we have to look forward to next season. So I jotted down a list of things that were not tied up and that I think could be plot points in season two and potentially season three, but uh, things that were not wrapped up in this season. First of all, when when Narek was first talking to Soji and I guess seducing her, he referenced a brother that he recently lost that was very painful. As far as I know, that was never kind of brought up again. Now, he could have just been lying in uh, an attempt to become a sympathetic character for her, but if he does have a brother with a, you know, a, a bit of tragic family history, I would like to know a little more about that. Mm-hmm. Concur. Also, they mentioned in the the standoff with Bejazel and her, you know, coterie of security that if Seven were to kill her, then there would be revenge to be had down the line. There would be, you know, consequences for that. And we did not see any such consequences in this season. So I wonder if perhaps that will factor into next season. That I can't answer. Also, Elnor's pledge to Picard, which, you know, he he pledged his sword to him for this mission, and then Picard released him from the pledge. But Elnor still looks like he's going to be a member of the crew for next season. And if he's no longer bound to Picard for those reasons, I wonder what the in-universe reasoning for him to be sticking around is going to be. He's a great character? Well, he is a great character. That's (laughs) why he'll be around. But I want to know how they're going to justify (laughs) Captain Crandall and the compass that Kestra gave to Soji. Like, I know we kind of saw the compass point at the Borg transwarp network. It was a subtle thing right when they wound up going through there. So we may not see the compass again, but that stuff was referenced pretty ostentatiously in that Riker episode. So, you know, for me, it's not a question of if, but when they go back to that. So I really, I want to see how they pay that stuff off. Seven was a Borg queen for a little while. And I have to wonder if there are going to be any remnants or repercussions there in terms of, a you know, traces of a Borg queen left. Like maybe, maybe there's something that's lurking inside her that might come out in an inopportune moment. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, the Speaking of the Borg, the XBs, when we left them in the last episode of the season, we saw the Van Halen warping away. As far as we know, the XBs are still hanging out on that damaged Borg cube on Capalius. So we saw that the Borg cube was slowly being regenerated on that planet. I wonder if we're going to see them on that ship down the line and, you know, find out what happens with them. As do I. Speaking of, what about Ramda and the rest of the Disordered? Were they evacuated with the Aromulans? Were they left on the Borg cube? 
like what what happened with them. I expect I actually I made it very clear last week that I thought that Narissa was not actually dead and we are going to see her come back. If we do, I wonder if she's going to wind up teaming up with Ramda to become a new threat or I guess a a reinforced threat. I should hope not. And uh, you know what happened to the rest of them and and what what's going to become of or has become of Ramda and the Disordered. We never got a definitive explanation of what the synth power from beyond the void or whatever was. I was speculating it was control from Discovery, but we never got a definitive answer on that. And I think even the showrunner in a Q&A mentioned that he didn't think that that's what that was as far as he knew. But I mean, A, that could be misdirection or B, he's not going to be the showrunner next season. So that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So I do wonder if we're ever going to follow up on that. And finally, uh, from the the things that I think have a good chance of being revisited, Narek and Soji. So it was pretty clear by the end that Narek actually did have feelings for Soji. I don't know if he legitimately loved her, but he did strongly, strongly care for her. And, you know, Narek didn't get killed. He He's still floating around out there somewhere. So... I wonder if that Narek and Soji relationship is going to wind up being a going concern uh, going forward. I would certainly hope not. They do like pairing people off on this show, apparently. Yeah. Like, I, I put it in the episode description for last week's show, but I really wonder who on the writing staff was a fan of that old SNL love boat sketch <laughs> when uh, when Patrick Stewart hosted... Saturday Night Live, and they did a parody of Star Trek where he was the captain of the love boat in space. <laughs> like, that seems, based on the last scene of this season, that seems like what they're setting up. It would seem so. <laughs> I hope not. You finished? I also had some quick maybes for what we might get revisited. The uh, Romulan rebirth movement on Vashti. They like they had they had logos and everything. They you know, that was a thing. They could revisit that. Car Kantar, who was the guy who had that sweet bird of prey that we saw in that same episode, he might wind up coming back and, and seeking revenge for what happened there. Uh we might see Rafi's son again, maybe, and his family. Uh now that Rafi was proven out to be correct with all of the crackpot theories, so-called, that she had. Riker, William T., you know, William T. Johnny Frakes what? mentioned the uh, Kazinti as being some race that was giving them trouble on Nepente, so we could see a, uh, a callback to that. Soji, throughout the series, the latter part of the series, Soji demonstrated weird uncanny knowledge of the borg cube which was never adequately explained so i wonder if that's going to become uh like a plot point raffi mentioned you know as as one of the dangers they could encounter on capelius homicidal fungi and you know like i could see that you know i'm sure it was set up as a throwaway joke but i could see that being something that they would call back in a season two or season three just just to pay it off, you know, you know the lengths that they will go to for a cheap joke on this show. Mm. And finally, uh, I wrote this down not because I think they will actually address it, but because I think they really should. The fact that both Agnes and Soji 
are murderers, or at, at least in Soji's case, accessories to murder and attempted galactic genocide. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Like, I know it's a minor thing, but they should probably bring it up once or twice. These life forms feel such passionate hatred. <laughs> they have a lot of places they can go in a season two, is what I'm saying. And we don't actually have a lot of information about season two beyond the fact that we know it was renewed. We don't know when it's going to come back. There was speculation that it could come back next year, but now with everything shut down because of the coronavirus, that is in question. So, you know, we don't know. When we do know, you will know. But right now, we don't know. So we can't say. But uh, I, I do want to kind of spitball what we can expect from, uh, you know, a logistical standpoint for next season. I think it's likely that all of the cast that we saw on the bridge of the Van Halen in that last shot will come back, which is Picard or Robocard, as I called him. No, thank you. Rios, Rafi, Elnor, Dr. Agnes Girati, Soji. And I hope they will bring back Seven as a main cast member as well. I have a feeling they will choose to. I personally, I have nothing to back this up. Personally, I feel like that's probably going to be a Jerry Ryan decision because I can't see them saying, yeah, sorry, we have nothing for you. I really think it depends on whether she wants to come back for a full season or, or you know, or not. So hopefully, hopefully it will be all of those on the show next season. We also can expect a probable appearance by Guinan, because if you recall um, back way back, going back to the first episode, I think of this show, or possibly the, the second, I don't remember. Um, we learned that Patrick Stewart very publicly on The View invited Whoopi Goldberg to be a part of season two of this show, and she very enthusiastically accepted. So we can probably expect to see some Guinan next season. Now, that wraps up who we expect to see. I'd like to talk about who I'd like to see on next season, because we had plenty of, uh, you know, well, not plenty, but we had several cameos or or you know several callbacks in this season but there's there's a whole bunch of characters that are left laying out there on the board right for the picket the sky's the limit i'm talking about your wharf i'm talking about your geordie laforge what are you doing and uh, you know we we definitely want to see some more rikers Right? Yes, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking on your behalf, James. I apologize for speaking for you, but I definitely want to see some more Rikers. And speaking of more characters that were tragically done by Laris and Jabon, mm -hmm. I would love to see them join the, the crew. I doubt that that will happen. If it does, terrific. Nothing works just as you hope. But even if it doesn't, Find excuses to put Laris and Jabon on my screen. I I need more of them on this show. Agreed. Number one, eh, whatever. If you're a dog person, then I'm sure you want to see more of him. I could take or leave the dog, but I definitely want to see more Laris and Jabon. Yeah, and thank you for mentioning that. I, I forgot to uh, put in Jabon and Laris as a. I, I love those characters too. Those were. I, I apologize for, for leaving them out and also not knowing what planet I'm on, but um, they, okay. they, they were fantastic. 
Fantastic characters, fascinating characters, and absolutely, we need more of them. And finally, the last character that I really badly want to see on the next season of Star Trek Picard. You mentioned it before, James. Q. Q. I want some Q. I want a continuum of Q. Obviously. But why? And the other good thing about that is you also mentioned, yeah, between if, if they have Q and they're going to have Guinan, that's going to solve so many plot hole problems because Guinan was the best at that. Whenever you had something that had no explanation or made no sense, Guinan swoops in and sums it all up and it's great. So And dude... Q and Guinan have history. They scratch yes. the surface of that on The Next Generation in Q Who, which is the episode that introduced the Borg. So I think it would be like, it's almost too perfect to put the two of them together in some way on a second season of this show. There's the whole second season right there. That That is brilliant. And now I'm really excited for season two. Oh boy, I hope they do that. Frankly, I'm a little surprised we didn't see him here in season one, considering how frequently he appeared in The Next Generation. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, Gary. Uh, that was another thing. My, my brother and I had a conversation off air talking about um, Star Trek Picard. And um, that was something that, that my brother brought up was the lack of Q. And again, that Star Trek Picard is not The Next Generation, but for a character that was there from the First episode of Star Trek The Next Generation through the very last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. That was such a reflection, if you will, of Picard and and uh, was such an integral character to that series that he was nowhere to be found in, in Star Trek Picard. And I understand it, it's supposed to take place after Next Generation, multiple years after, and it's a, it's a whole series on its own, but to just kind of not have john delancey involved at all or or the character q not involved at all uh was was something my brother really had a problem trying to uh wrap his brain around and when he brought that up it made perfect sense to me too so if that is lined up for season two and yes that i forgot about that that there's bad blood between q and guinan oh man that is so exciting that sounds awesome you said yourself that this is only a possibility and one last thing too about that was uh, after i had that conversation with my brother i just out of curiosity i, I looked up on uh, youtube or something to see what john delancey was up to or if there's any explanation of what happened to q and uh, mr delancey himself said that uh, possibly as you know gary and i were talking about with with brent spiner and, and reality is that uh, John Delancey very classly and, and, and coolly said that maybe they weren't interested in a th older John Delancey, you know, maybe that, that Q is supposed to be an omniscient character and, and he doesn't age and, and he's a godlike character. Uh, so Delancey was just like, matter of factly, didn't have a chip on his shoulder or, or, or feel slighted or anything like that. He just said they never contacted me. So he was speculating that could have been the reason. Personally, for me, mm, I'm not buying that. But <laughs> I appreciate his how classy he was about it. And, and, and hearing him say it himself was uh, pretty interesting that, that the Picard people never even contacted John Delancey about it or approached him. So I hope that changes, especially Gary. You pointed out that great idea if they do have a cue. And uh, obviously, we know that, that Guinan's going to be in season two. So that, oh boy, that, that's pretty exciting. Absolutely thrilling. 
Well, you know what, James? I've got a perfect workaround for that, if that is in fact the problem. So similar to the data workaround that I have, it's I'm not it's not self-plagiarism, it's slightly different. So here's 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 and Star Trek Picard writers, if you're listening, I'm sure they're not. No. But if they are, you can have this one for free. Okay? This is this is this is yours to use, please. So we have John Delancey looking like Q looked back in the next generation. You know, I'm sure the technology is cheap enough now to, to CGI, you know, the Forrest Gump, Benjamin Button, whatever. They can pull it off for 30 seconds. Put Q in there, pop in, looking as he did during the next generation. Mon Capitan, have you missed me? Or something like that. I don't know. And then, you know, before Picard can respond, have him say, oh, you look terrible. You've really let yourself go. Well, now I feel overdressed. Uh, let me let me slip into something that'll make you feel a little more comfortable. Snap his fingers. Now he looks like old John Delancey because he looks, you know, more like what Picard looks like now. Comparatively speaking, remember, Q doesn't. I mean, in the canon of the Star Trek universe, Q doesn't actually look like John Delancey. He doesn't actually look like anything. He's an omniscient being. Like, he, he can look like whatever he wants to look like. He just appeared that way to Picard because he, you know, for whatever his own reasons were. That's that's the form he chose to appear in. So, like, it makes perfect sense that he would choose to appear in another form for whatever reason. They could definitely make it work. That's an excellent idea. I love it. And again, I, I don't think any fans would complain if, you know, they used even the barest excuse to get John Delancey in this show. And we've talked, and speaking of John Delancey, we've talked about um, Star Trek Continues, which was uh, like more or less a, a fan version of uh, the continuation of the original series, which I thought was excellent. And if you haven't checked it out, please do. It's called, it, it, you could find it on YouTube. It's called Star Trek Continues. And one of the first episodes that they did they addressed the uh, Who Mourns for Adonis episode from season two of the original series, I believe was season two. And that actor was the same actor that played Adonis in, in, in the original series. And he aged, obviously. So they addressed that and it was a great explanation and it worked so well. And Gary, what you just said off the top of your head in the last couple of minutes. Oh, boy. Can please somebody from Star Trek Picard hire Gary to be a consultant or a writer on your show, please? Uh, no. Who mourns for Adonis? Not to be confused with the DS9 episode, Who Mourns for Mourn? Right. Which <laughs> was very different. Yes, I know. Speaking of DS9, James, I want to throw something at you. I don't like, not like physically. I, first of all, we're in different boroughs. I wouldn't be able to. That's not how the internet works. No, that's quite true. But uh, I want to I want to throw you a curveball here uh, at the end of the episode, something that I have not run by you before that I'm putting you on the spot here. I want to get your your first blush reaction. James, we saw Seven of Nine and Commander Riker or Captain Riker at this point. We saw Seven of Nine and Captain Riker and Data and, uh, you know, even even a version of Spot come back on this show. So, you know, we saw Echeb and Hugh 
there have been plenty of characters from other series that were called back on this show, but there was one series that was not adequately represented on this show beyond like a, a, a sight gag or two. So I'm going to put you on the spot, James. If the writers came to you and said, James, Unlikely. we want to put one character from Deep Space Nine in the second season of Star Trek Picard, what character do you pick? Oh, man. Uh, it's not Cisco because Avery Brooks is not coming back. Yeah, exactly. Which is very unfortunate and, and heartbreaking because it, it would just work out so well, too. It's so easy because not only is he a great baseball fan, but he's a prophet now and I guess a god, too. But um, it's also not Odo because rest yeah. in peace, Rene Auberjonois. Absolutely. Absolutely. Same thing for Nog. Yeah. Rest in peace, Aaron Eisenberg. Amen. 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 I'll go with Chief O'Brien. Chief O'Brien, for me, one of my all-time favorite characters in, in all of Star Trek. I, I have a soft spot for the engineers, for whatever case. I guess seeing what you go through every week for this podcast. I'm aware you've been under stress. So that kind of makes sense. But I love Scotty. I love uh, Jordy. And of course, I love O'Brien, too. And especially O'Brien, for whatever reason, he... he his character suffered so much. <laughs> yeah. That is an understatement. And not fair. It wasn't, there was no reason. No reason you're aware of. I know he was tough as nails and loyal mm. as they come and a great father and a great husband, but why did they have to pick on him so much? And he always came back for more. Uh, he, there was one episode when a version of him died <laughs> for crying yes, out loud. Correct. It's our mortality that defines us part of the truth of our existence. So uh, all the blood, sweat, and tears that he put into that, I would love, love, love to see Chief O'Brien. So thank you for, for bringing that up. And yes, Deep Space Nine, it was nice that they had a tip of the cap to Quark and stuff like that. But to have a full-fledged character, I'll go with Chief O'Brien. That's a great callback, especially given his history with Picard on the Enterprise. Yes, exactly right. So, yeah, good, good, good choice. I have to admit, I was half expecting you to go with Garrick. I, you know what? That that that's a great point too. I, I, gosh, oh man, Garrick is such a great character, and uh, obviously the, the listener can't see this, but you're wearing the shirt too. That awesome Garrick shirt. I did. It was a shirt that I I got contributing to the campaign for what we left behind, the Deep Space Nine documentary. So that was you know, I I really like this shirt. It's a great shirt. I mean, you know, maybe not as good as uh, the Elnor shirt. Perhaps it is. But your mileage may vary on that one. But uh, no, all kidding aside, I do love the character. I don't know if Andrew Robinson would be down to get back in that makeup, but he, he was so good in that character. That's so good in that role. Plus, I would like to see just at least one episode. I would like to see him who is the epitome of constant deception. I would like to see him bouncing off of Elnor, who is just completely open and and you know guileless in every way yeah because that was such a great plot line that they did with deep space nine between garrick and bashir that was exactly like bashir was a little naive and and childlike in certain aspects and and uh yeah garrick he never told the truth so that's that's a great point um i guess i was just distracted by the good guys for the main characters and stuff like that. But boy, yeah, if they could bring back Andrew Robinson in some way, shape, or form, if they could have Garrick too. So, okay, that that's uh, I'll go with Chief O'Brien and Garrick. All right, I'll allow it. Thank you. <laughs> I think this charade has gone far enough. Now, listener, if you have, wow, 
there's there's so many options for feedback for this show if you have a favorite character it doesn't have to be from deep space nine if you have a favorite character or a a great potential character that you'd like to see come back next season if you have some feedback on this season that either is something that we didn't address staggers the imagination to think that there is such a thing but if, if something that we didn't cover, if you disagree with one of our opinions, if you have any thoughts whatsoever that you would like to share about season one or a potential season two, we encourage you to do just that very thing. Please, you can email us at vintagepicard at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us, Instagram, Facebook. We are Vintage Picard just about everywhere. You can even go on Twitter and use the hashtag Vintage Picard and tell your friends about this wonderful-ish podcast. And and we want to know what you think so we can talk about that on the next episode. Speaking of the next episode, there is going to be a little bit of a course correction on what we are going to be covering. James and I talked it over. James did most of the talking in this case. I'm sure you're very surprised to hear that, but I swear to you that that is true. I find that hard to believe. James and I talked about it, and we've decided that where we are going with this podcast is that to start with, we are going to cover Next Generation episodes that tie in thematically to this show. Uh, Episodes that have some kind of key element that wound up playing a, a significant role in Star Trek Picard. So... That will be two weeks from now. We are going to go to an every other week schedule for the time being because there is no active Star Trek going on for us to review. So so this format will be every other week. You can expect to hear from us again in two weeks from now. So again, that will be in two weeks. And to make sure that you don't miss us when we come back in two weeks, you should subscribe to this podcast so you know when a new episode drops. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Podbean or Spreaker or Spotify or really many, many number of places we are available for your consumption. So check us out and then you can uh, you can be happy that you did so you will know every time an episode drops so that's gonna do it for season one of star trek picard and this episode of vintage picard we'll catch you again in two weeks and in that intervening time we would implore you please my friends choose to live bye Yeah, if they they bring Garrick back, or at least Andrew Garfield in in some way. Excuse me, Andrew Garfield. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I don't want to see Andrew Garfield anywhere near the Star Trek franchise. Thank you very much. Please and thank you. Yeah. uh, Yeah. As a Spider-Man fan, I agree. Um, (laughs) Yeah.